will will use people, use human beings against us. But I know that, that they will work in that way against us. But the Bible says here that, that our, our real battle is not is not with them, it's it's with these unseen forces, this spiritual wickedness in high places, or uh, some Bible scholars said that the, the word there's the heavenlies in the heavenlies. <clears throat> and um, we've seen as we've studied about this that that the the the, the heavenlies, the, the world around us is just you know just full of these angelic beings, both the angels of God, the good angels, and then those that we refer to as the bad angels. Uh, fallen angels are demons or the devils that it talks about in the Bible. <clears throat> and um, so we, there's some things we need to remember in this battle that, that we're in if we're going to be victorious. We should, we should not forget the power of Satan and also the, these uh, demons that are under his, under his rule. Um, the devil, you know, people, there are a lot of jokes made about, about the devil but uh, but because he is a created being, God created Lucifer, the anointed cherub. Uh, there there should be a certain amount of respect. I mean, you know, when it's like you, uh, you know, it's not like that. You know, that you like him or anything like that. But but you you should respect him because of his power and because of of the the. Um, you know the things that he that he uh, could uh, bring against us. There, there's a difference between fear that that causes cringing and, and respect that calls for caution. There, you know, there there are things that we we need to be cautious about, and and so in that sense, we we you know you have there's a certain amount of respect. For their for their power, Satan's never to be regarded lightly or contemptuously. Look at the <clears throat> look at the book of Jude, little book of Jude, verse eight and nine, <clears throat> and it, and here. Um, well, let, let's go back, kind of review uh, this passage here. In verse five, I will therefore put you in remembrance. Though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, and, and I believe this is talking about those fallen angels that, that uh, came into the daughters of men back there in Genesis 6. These angels, which kept not their first estate. That is, they, they, they came out of the realm of... of uh, spiritual spirit beings and they they entered into men they possessed men and uh so so they left that's what the bible means they left their first estate left their own habitation he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness until the judgment of the great day now though those are the angels in the book of revelation it talks about those angels that have been chained that's jude refers to that here Verse 7, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh. <clears throat> See, the angelic beings, 
going going after the daughters of men that was different foreign flesh, strange flesh, <coughs> different from their own. <coughs> Just like uh, in Sodom and Gomorrah, what, what was happening, instead of men and women, it was men and men and women and women. And that's why it refers to, to that here as it was in Sodom and Gomorrah. And I set forth an example of suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Now, this is talking about these, you know, these angelic beings. And it speaks about that they're, you know, they kind of make a light and, and despise, they despise dominion. And, and even, you know, we, we recognize that even among the fallen angels, there, there are different ranks. You know, there's, they have different dominions that, that, they, that they rule over under Satan. And speak evil of dignity. Now listen, verse 9. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuked thee. Even Michael, the archangel, respected the authority, the power, the rank uh, of the devil. Now, uh, Michael the archangel, Michael, he's, he's a very powerful, has, has great authority. But yet, yet he respected, recognized and respected the authority of the devil. He said, uh, so he appealed to the highest authority, which is the Lord. Because the Lord's even over the devil. But he said, uh, said, the Lord rebuked thee. So... Uh, so even though the devil has fallen, he yet retains great dignity and power. And, and you and I are no match for him. I, I, would not, I would not do battle with the devil without, first of all, yielding myself to God. And, and the Bible tells us that, that we're to submit ourselves to God. And in that same verse, it says, resist the devil. But remember, first of all, Submit yourself unto God, because you and I—we're no match for the devil. We're no match for for demons. We're no match in in the flesh. It is only as we submit ourselves to God and in His power, then we can resist the devil. So he should be respected. Second, he should—he he is restricted. He's limited by God in His power and authority and, and activity. And he can only do what God permits in his sovereignty. Look at the book of Job. Back to the book of Job. And you're, you're all familiar with this situation here in Job chapter 1. <clears throat> and it uh, tells us here in verse 12. And the Lord said unto Satan... Behold, all that he hath, and it's talking about Job, all that he hath is in thy power only upon himself, put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth in the presence of the Lord. And in chapter 2, turn over to one page, chapter 2, in verse 6, and the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he now, at first it was just... Uh, Moses, uh, Job's possessions, his wealth, even his family. 
But he said, the Lord said, you can't touch him. You can't touch his body. But here now in chapter 2, so, so went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto, unto his crown. So, you know, the Lord, the Lord first told uh, Satan, he said, you can't touch Job, his, his body, his, him physically. But then after this, after Job still, you know, he still didn't turn against God. So, so Satan then, he, he said, you know, the reason is because you got a hedge about him and all that. So um, God said, all right, uh, I'll, let you, I'll let you smite him physically. <clears throat> but, uh, but it's not until the Lord gave him permission to do that that he was able to do it. Say, so why, why did God allow that? I don't know. You need to study the book of Job yourself. <laughs> and um, find out for yourself. <clears throat> um, there, there is in in Romans chapter eight. There is a limitation on the devil and on demons. He he cannot the devil the demons they cannot touch our salvation, nor separate us from the love of God. In Romans chapter 8, you're all familiar with this, this passage, verse 38. For I'm persuaded neither death nor life nor angels. And see, that, that would include both the good and the bad angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. They, they can't. They, they cannot touch our salvation and they cannot separate us from the love of God. So there, we can, you know, we can uh, be assured that we can have victory, but, uh, but it's only in the Lord we can have victory over them. <clears throat> so, so that's a little bit about the power of Satan. Let's, let's notice second the practice of Satan. The Bible says that we're not to remain ignorant of his devices. We ought to be aware of his schemes and purposes, just as soldiers have to be aware of the strategy of the enemy. You know, the, the mess over in Afghanistan right now is because our leaders were not aware of the strategy of the enemy, the Taliban. I think it was uh, President Reagan that when he was president, said that you don't you don't negotiate with terrorists. You can't no negotiate with terrorists. Uh, I mean, who who is so dumb to think that you could that you could uh, trust the Taliban? And I know from the way you're looking, you know who's that dumb, don't you? <laughs> He's there in the White House. But anyway. Um, we we should we should we should be aware of the strategy, the schemes of the devil and his angels. Um, just just might want to jot these verses. Won't take the time to turn back, but Second uh, Corinthians chapter two verse eleven and Ephesians chapter six and verse eleven. <clears throat> The devil accuses, he deceives, he plants doubt, 
He tempts to pride and self-satisfaction. He divides brethren. He discourages. He distracts. All of this is to oppose God's purpose. And then the third thing under this that we, we have here, the, the prince of victory, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ purchased victory. He defeated and judged Satan by his death and resurrection. He's exalted above all powers. Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, that's in the Great Commission. All creatures are subject to him. And those of us that are saved in the, we've been born again in the family of God, we're in his care and, and he is our defense. You know, I've, um, I've had a little bit of um, experience, you know, with people that, that I did feel like, you know, they were demon-possessed. And there, and there was a time or two whenever there were actually things that happened that, that made me know it. And I've told you about that. I won't go into all that. <clears throat> but, um, you know, I had, I had uh, read and had been told, heard, you know, heard that, that if, you're, if there, there is uh, demon activity in your presence or maybe somebody, you know, there's, there's uh, demon oppression Somebody that that if you 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 uh, quote scripture, you know, if you quote script, especially about the blood, scriptures about the blood, that that it will, you know, it will drive the demons away, or at least it will, you know, it'll get them agitated. <laughs> but uh, I don't know if you want to agitate them or not. But but um, <clears throat> I the time that I've told you about with the with the young girl that obviously demon possessed because there was a male voice coming out of her mouth um, and and I I didn't you know I didn't know what to do but I thought about you know the the um, I've heard that if you quote scripture about the blood that you know that will either drive them away or else it'll quiet them you know and <clears throat> So I start, you know, I, I just opened up my Bible. I started reading all the passages I could, you know, I could think of about the blood, and uh, and that demon began to squeal. That began and began to, you know, and and I don't know if I don't know if the demon was leaving her or or I don't know what happened, but she quieted down after after that after that demon voice squealed, you know, and and then you know and got all that over then she quieted down and she became calm <clears throat> so um, we can you know we we can go to the Lord whenever things like this happen we can go to the Lord and and uh, he is our defense in, in these things and and the Bible teaches that, that Christ prays for our victory in John 17 verse 15 <clears throat> Let's turn back there to that scripture. I think it's important. John uh, 17. This is in the part of the passage here dealing with the Lord is dealing with his disciples. He's talking about his crucifixion, his going away and all that. And he's praying, praying here for them. In uh, 
17, John 17 and verse 15, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou should keep them from the evil. And uh, Bible scholars say this is speaking of the evil one, the evil one from the devil. So, so uh, the Lord prays for our uh, protection, for our victory in that. And then look at the look at the book of Zechariah, Zechariah chapter three, and verse one and two. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, <clears throat> and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that thou hast chosen, that has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? So the Lord here will intervene for us when, when we're being attacked by the, by the devil and his angels. These demons, the Lord will, he prays for our victory and he will, he will also protect. So that's the, the prince of victory. Then the next point, the position of victory. Our position in Christ means that we stand before God in Christ's righteousness. The, when, when, when God looks at us, he doesn't see all of our sins and filthiness and all that because we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We, we share his victory over the powers of evil. He, he leads us in the, in the uh, train of his triumph. We're delivered by him from the realm of Satan's dominance. And so we just need to, we need to go to him for uh, victory whenever these things are happening. <clears throat> And then the purpose of God in this, God keeps his saints. Satan cannot thwart the purpose of God. Now, God, God sometimes will use Satan to accomplish his purpose. Did, did that with Job. And you'll, you'll find, uh, especially throughout the Old Testament, where, uh, where God will allow the enemy of Israel to you know, to defeat them at times, <clears throat> uh, to bring them back to him, you know, correction, discipline, to bring them back to him. And this is, this is what, see, when we, we begin to get away from the Lord and, and the Lord chastises us, that, that's, that means he corrects us to bring us back to him, to bring us back to, in, in fellowship with him. Um, so, so the Lord, the, you know, the Lord can use these demons to, uh, you know, to bring about, uh, to accomplish his purpose sometimes in our life. It's like, it's kind of like I had, I heard an illustration one time, it's like a doctor, you know, when you, when you have something in your body that's causing problems, cancer, cancer, for instance. And the doctor goes in to cut that out. Now, that's going to cause pain. It's going to cause a lot of pain. But, but it, he does that, the doctor does that, so that he can get that infection out, that cancer out, and so that, and so that then when you recover, then in the end you're going to be 
you're going to be better off. You're going to be in better health and all that. So, so sometimes the Lord will allow pain to, to correct something in our lives, you know, to bring us back to him. Things that we're, you know, that we're, we shouldn't be involved in, the Lord will sometimes allow and even allow maybe Satan, just like he did with Job, allow Satan to, or, or the demons to, you know, to cause sickness. Uh, they can, the devils can cause sickness, then cause things that take place in our lives physically. But then the second word, <clears throat> the fir first word where there was remember, the second word, resist. Victory demands more than remembering. We must resist the powers of evil. And we, we resist in, in these ways. First of all, in allegiance to God. James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. So in allegiance to God, then in armor from God, and that's there in Ephesians, the, we, we looked at a while ago, putting on the whole armor of God. And then in actions of godliness, there there's some things that we must do in order to resist the demon activity in our lives and then the devil. And there's some things that we must avoid. We, we, we first of all should pray for deliverance. That's the first thing we ought to do. Pray, pray for deliverance, pray for protection, and then then be alert, be watchful. Guard our attitudes and actions to avoid leaving an opening for Satan and, and a good verse to look at for that uh, is in Matthew 16 Matthew 16 verse 23 I, I usually for those of you maybe this is the first time you've been here this, I, I usually have the scripture going to be used. I have them marked. I'll have a paper clip there so I can turn to it real fast. <clears throat> but, uh, but a couple of times, some of you said, you'd like for me to slow down and give you a chance to find the scripture too. <laughs> so that's why I'm, uh, it's taken a while to uh, turn to some of these. In Matthew 16, verse 23, but he turned and said unto Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. You see, uh, <clears throat> the Lord recognized here that, that Peter's attitude, and, and attitude, you know, your attitude will lead to actions. If it's good attitude, lead to good, good actions, but bad attitude, bad action. And, and so the Lord recognized that it was the devil that was but it was causing Peter, using Peter to uh, rebuke the Lord about, about uh, the cross and all that stuff. <clears throat> so, uh, so the Lord said, you know, he, he referred to as Satan, get thee behind me, Satan. And you see, Peter was, you know from uh, your study about Peter, Peter was a great man, but Peter was very, you know, he was very impetuous and, 
and he would sometimes open his mouth when he should have kept quiet. And, uh, and, and so he just, you know, he plunged ahead before he stopped to think. And uh, he, he, he was very, had a very sanguine uh, temperament, nature about him. And, and uh, you know, there's a lot, lot of good about Peter. He was, he was obviously a, a great Christian, a great leader, but, uh, but he, sometimes his attitude was not right. And so, so the Lord was rebuking him because of, because of that. <clears throat> um, our, our, our time's running out, but uh, the, the Bible teaches that, that there are things, you know, that we, that we harbor, things that we, you know, refuse to do that, that we ought to, the Christian ought to do, uh, that will actually open up the way for demon activity, for demon influence in our lives. And, and one of those things is uh, unforgiveness, unforgiveness. In, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul uh, mentions there that their lack of forgiving this fallen brother that had come back and asked for forgiveness and, and uh, wanted to be reinstated in the church and everything, that Paul said that your lack of forgiveness gives an occasion for Satan to cause division and discouragement. <clears throat> so, so we're, you know, we're to be, the, the unforgiveness is, is a bad, bad thing. It, uh, it'll cause all kinds of problems in your life, not only spiritually, but also physically. And so we need to, we need to put away uh, attitudes or actions of vengeance and, and, and do good instead of, you know, instead of uh, harboring these bad attitudes, you know, the used to be you'd sit you'd sit a lot of bumper stickers on cars and say it would say uh, I don't I don't uh, get mad I get even, you know, you remember that, <clears throat> and there and, and there's even there's even people that think that that if you that if you don't retaliate, you know, if you don't try to get even about some. You know that you're you're kind of a sissy, or you know that you're uh, you don't you don't stand up for yourself or stand up for your family and all that. But um, but you know when when the Bible teaches when Jesus teaches that we're to turn the other cheek, it's not talking about you know that we're become a doormat and everybody just run over us. But but uh, there there are things you know there's even even bad things that people say about us or do to us. We're to forgive them for our own sake. But you know, it doesn't mean that you you that you approve of what they've done. I've I remember it's been a few years ago, but uh, one of the one of the Amish families. This was on the news. You probably would remember it too. Uh, somebody murdered one of the daughters of one of those Amish families, and uh, and they had you know a little bit later they had that family, the mother and dad. <clears throat> they were on on the news on TV and and uh, and th they said you know we forgive him we forgive him for what he's done you know, and people I you know I hear people say how could they do that how could they forgive him for murdering their daughter well that's what the Bible teaches that we're to we're to forgive 
if you if you harbor unforgiveness, bitterness in your heart about something, then the Bible teaches here that that you're opening yourself up to to the devil, for demons to to come in and take advantage. So uh, so in general, dedication to the cause of Christ, obedience to the commands of Christ, and cultivation of the life of Christ, they serve as a practical defense against Satan. And then the last, uh, the last is uh, rely. Victory is found ultimately in relying upon God, trusting him for our welfare and in our warfare. And, and we, we, have, we have at our, you know, at our uh, disposal, I don't, I don't mean that in a bad way, but we, have, we, have, we can rely on the power of Christ because he's promised that he will, he will be with us. And um, so we, but we must first be subject to Christ's authority and then, and then uh, standing in his authority we don't, we don't have anything to fear. You know, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't mean to make light of uh, people that fear this COVID and all, but, but you know, there, there's a fear that is damaging. And I, and I believe that, that a lot of people have, have let this fear uh, cause damage to, to their, you know, in their thinking and and so and so then ultimately then in their testimony their their uh, you know their witness uh, because of their fear because the Bible says that that uh, God's got God has not given us the spirit of fear so if, if if you have fear and God doesn't give it to us where did it come from? So uh, I hope the lessons on angels, I hope that's helped you. It's been a benefit to you. Uh, we had a missionary a couple weeks ago that was here in Sunday school. And, and after the lesson that morning, and I think that was the time when I was talking about the different ranks and everything and the cherubim and seraphim and all that. <clears throat> and he said, you know, I've been, I've been through Bible college and I've never heard that. He said, I, I've never heard the things that you talked today about about angels, he said. I, he said, "What a what a revelation that is to uh, you know have that understanding about the angelic realm." And I've had you know I've had uh, a number of our people here that even mentioned that you know there there are things that they because you know because you can't see them. You know, there's a tendency to kind of wonder. You know, is that real or are they real? And especially with demons, you know, is, or are, they, are they really real? And then there's some, uh, you know, there's some uh, preachers that that uh, they they don't really have a clear understanding of of uh, demons, demonology, because they'll talk about the demon of discouragement, you know, thinking that that it is it's just an attitude, and and that's not right. De demons are real. They're fallen angels, and they're real. It's not an attitude. Now they can cause discouragement, and they can cause uh, defeat, and all that. But, but, uh, 
it's not correct to speak of them as you know the, the demon of discouragement, the demon of defeat, the demon of this or whatever. All right, uh, let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for a lesson. Thank you for these lessons on angels, and I pray to God that this has given us a better understanding of uh, what the angelic realm is. Let's all stand together, please. Shake hands with those around you and let them know that you're glad to see them here in the Lord's house this morning. Yeah. 
Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. We're all going to plead something. Amen? So good to see each of you this morning. If you're visiting with us for the very first time, I'd like to get you to raise your hand nice and high. Any first-time visitors? All right, I got some folks right here. So glad you're here. And Greg, right? Greg, I met you the other day. So good to see you again, Greg. And a couple folks right here. So good to see each of you. We just ask that you would fill that card out and then drop it in the offering plate as it comes by. We invite you to keep the pen as a gift of our church. I do have a couple of announcements for you. I want to say thank you to everyone who helped out with the fish fry uh, this past Friday. Um, some of you saw that picture of uh, Brother Mike and uh, Brother Jeremiah frying fish out there. That thing got so much activity, I was jealous of it, truthfully. So those guys out there frying that fish, they had a, had a good time out there. And then all the folks that served on the inside and uh, the hush puppies that were made and Brother Arthur made some, some, um, some greens. I keep saying that, you're getting hungry, aren't you? But we had a good time, a good time in the Lord's house. If you didn't get to come to it, we'll be having another one pretty soon. So uh, you'll make sure you want to come to the next one. Also want to say that we're going to be starting our ladies' fellowships back up. Now the ladies are going to be excited about that here, right here in front. And um, they've uh, named this, this group the Sisters of Grace. And I told Miss Gail a minute ago, when the ladies are here, the husbands might be called the husbands gone fishing. So that would be a good time for the husbands too. So uh, that, the first meeting is going to be September 16th. I believe that's going to be at uh, 6.30 in our fellowship hall. So if you have questions about that, see Miss Amy, see Miss Gale. Uh, they, can, they can help you out with that. And then the very next night will be our youth rally night. Our youth rallies are starting back up, and I am excited about that. We're going to be going over to Tabernacle Baptist, and uh, I hope they have the, the Ed Loney preaching to us again. He is such a good preacher. They bring him all the way from Arkansas to preach to us, and we'll probably have 200 teenagers there that night. Uh, so we'll be taking our teens over there, 
and the third Friday of every month we'll be having that. So good to have those things starting back up. Good to see you this morning. Please take your hymn book out and turn to hymn number 345. Hymn number 345, please stand and join me in singing, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins increase to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often would you come forward? I'd like for you to pray for Brother Jeff Fowler. He's in the hospital. He used, he used years ago, most of you remember, he was our music director here and on staff here at our church for a while. And um, they moved away. But he's, um, he, he has the COVID, double pneumonia, but he's got diabetes and some other things that are wrong. And so he's in very serious condition. The family said he is showing some improvement now, but to pray for him and for the family. And also uh, Lady Laura Hugh, uh, Joey is, you hear Joey? I, I, my vision that far back is blurry and I, I couldn't tell if that was you or not. Joey's wife, she's in the hospital in very serious condition, pray for her. She has pancreatic cancer and um, so remember her in prayer. Brother Tony uh, was telling that he was able to lead her to the Lord the other day. And so that's, that's great, tremendous blessing.
All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessings on the offering and uh, on these requests. And I'm sure that many of you have prayer requests as well. And the Lord knows what they are. So just uh, while the usher is praying here, you can be praying in your own heart for the needs that you have and for the uh, physical condition of people in, in your own family. So let's bow our heads and look to the Lord in prayer. Brother Flowers, would you lead us?
Okay, now hear me. <laughs> uh, Brother Michael just told me that Brother Randy's mother passed away. And uh, we knew that she was in hospice, but I hadn't heard. So remember, remember Randy and the family in prayer. Uh, Brother um, Tony was talking about the Sisters of Grace, and he's going to start a husband's fishing or something like that. Uh, I remember in the Bible where a fellow said, I go a-fishing, but he got away from the Lord. <laughs> and uh, so I don't think we want that kind of club. <laughs> Years ago, I... I saw a tract or something, I saw something one time that <clears throat> and it said, uh, the man who kissed the door of heaven and died and went to hell. And I was just a young Christian. I, I didn't 
I thought, uh, you know, who, wonder who that was. Who, who could that have been? And, uh, and so I, as I began to study the Bible and everything, then I found out, I found out who that was and what it was about. I'd like for you to turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 6. I want to think for a while about this man who kissed the door of heaven and died and went to hell. And let's just look at a couple of verses here in this chapter, uh, verse 69 and 70, 71. Well, verse 70, Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. Many years ago, before this, this account here in this passage, a woman gave birth to a bouncing baby boy. And if she was a normal mother, and I believe she was, she cuddled that child in her arms. She nestled that baby boy next to her cheek. She talked, baby talked to him. She caressed him, cared for him. She nursed him and loved him. He was precious to her. She selected a name for him. The name was Judas. And back in those days, that was a, a very honorable name. A lot of the, a lot of the baby boys were named Judah or Judas uh, because of the tribe of Judah. They're really the most prominent of all of the tribes of Israel. <clears throat> and um, and so it was not, you know, it was, uh, it, was, it was a good name. That was the name of that little baby boy. But you know, mothers don't name the boys Judas anymore. They named them Peter and James and Paul and Matthew and Timothy and Zechariah and, and Amos, but I, I've never heard in my life, I've never heard of a little baby boy named Judas. And the reason why is because it was Judas who betrayed the Lord Jesus. And you remember that night, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was praying before his crucifixion. And it's quiet there in the garden. The city is asleep. The disciples are sleeping. There's very little noise except perhaps the whisper of the wind and the olive trees and the chirping of the crickets. But suddenly we're made aware of another sound. There's footsteps, muffled voices. And then we see torches that are glaring and <clears throat> those torches reveal <clears throat> the expression on the faces of the priests and the Pharisees whose heart burned with hate toward the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Soldiers are there and we hear the clanking of the armor as they surround the Lord Jesus. Judas is leading them. He has sold the Lord Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He has betrayed Jesus. The soldiers are there to take him, to arrest him, and ultimately to crucify him, to be rid of him. But the soldiers are not quite certain which one Jesus is. And so Judas said, the one that I kiss, that's Jesus, take him. 
So Judas steps from the crowd. He approaches Jesus. He bows and he says, greetings, master. And then he kissed him. And that kiss was the kiss of shame, the kiss of infamy. It was a kiss that burned like a hot coal from hell, the kiss of betrayal. It was the kiss of death. Judas kissed Jesus. Jesus was the door to heaven. Jesus said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. And Judas kissed the door to heaven. And he died and went to hell. There are a lot of lessons that can be learned from the life of Judas. And <clears throat> I've looked here primarily just in this chapter, the sixth chapter of Judas, of uh, John. And there's some things here I want to pick out that I think uh, that think that we should be aware of, things that I think that we can learn from. <clears throat> and the first thing, uh, thing that I want, I want you to learn is a lesson concerning salvation and what I'm calling the tragedy of a lost church member. Now, Judas was one of the 12 apostles. He was a church member. The apostle, the Lord Jesus, was the chief cornerstone, and the apostles were that foundation over that chief cornerstone. And Judas was one of the 12. He was a church member, and yet he died and went to hell. Jesus said, have not I chosen you 12, and one of you is a devil? Some people have the idea that Judas was saved and he lost his salvation. No, he never was saved. He never was saved, but he was a church member, and outwardly he looked, he looked real good. I mean, outwardly he had it all. He had association. I mean, he kept company with the 12. He's one of the apostles. You couldn't have any better associations than that. Not only did he have association, he had education. I mean, he was educated by the Lord Jesus Christ. You talk about a seminary education. He had three years with the Son of God. He had education. Not only did he have the right association, right education, he had the right reputation. You know that Judas was the treasurer of the twelve? Now you think about that. <clears throat> When you're looking for someone in your organization to handle the money, who do you get? You're not going to get a crook. You're not going to get somebody dishonest. You're going to choose, you're going to choose a person who's got the right reputation, somebody you think, you, think you can trust, and, and, you're, and you're going to then let them <clears throat> handle the money and be the one that will take care of the money. And the Bible says it was Judas that held the bag. He had reputation. <clears throat> he, they would not have chosen him if he hadn't had a good reputation and had and a person they thought of as being of good moral character, a man who was honest. And then he had participation. He worked, he served, he went out with the others when they were sent out to preach and teach. I'm quite sure he preached sermons People probably called him Brother Judas. He ministered, he worked, but he was never saved. Jesus warned in Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, he said, many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied or preached in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? 
Then will I profess unto them, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. I never knew you. Suppose we were to have an interview with Mr. Judas today and say to him, uh, Mr. Judas, are you saved? Are you a Christian? You know Christ as your personal Savior. And Judas would say, well, I'm a church member. But Judas, I didn't ask you that. I, I asked you, are you saved? I'm a member of an orthodox fundamental church. I'm a member of the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. No, Judas, I didn't ask you that. Judas, have you been born again? I'm a charter member of the church. But Judas, do you know Christ as your personal Savior? I'm afraid there are a lot of people today who are like Judas. They have the right association. They have the right reputation. They have the right education. They have the right uh, participation but they don't have regeneration. They've never been born again. There are thousands and maybe millions who are going to die and go to hell surrounded by baptismal certificates and receipts for church offerings and Sunday school attendance pens and all the rest of it, but they've never been saved. I was talking with an elderly lady one time and she told me that she had been teaching Sunday school in a Baptist church for 25 years. And she even proudly uh, was showing me her little pins of, uh, that they handed out for perfect attendance. And, and for 25 years, she, every, she had 25 pins there where for 25 years she had had perfect attendance in the Baptist church that she went to and where she taught Sunday school. And so in the, in the conversation, and I was just assuming, because she was saying all that, I thought, well, you know, this is a good Christian woman. But something, uh, something disturbed me as we began to talk, and, I, and so I, I finally asked her, I said, uh, Miss So-and-so, wh when were you saved? When did you get saved? You know, when, tell me about your salvation. And she said, oh, I've always been saved. No, 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 you haven't always been saved. There has to be a time. You see, being a member of a Baptist church and being baptized in a Baptist church and having perfect attendance records for 25 years and teaching Sunday school even, that does not guarantee you're going to get to heaven. See, that's not what you do to be saved. To be saved means to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. It's not joining the church. It's not being baptized. It's not teaching Sunday school, it's not singing in the choir, it's have you been born again. That's what's important. Well, you know, uh, invariably when I, when I preach things like this, somebody will say, you know, preacher's trying to make me doubt my salvation. No, I'm not. I'm just wanting you to examine yourself whether or not you're saved. That's what the Bible says. Examine yourself. You can, you can be an honest, upright, moral individual you can be a church member you can even be an officer in the church just like Judas treasurer and yet he was not saved he was not saved now I don't want you to because you're a member of Central Baptist Church or or any other church I don't want you to think that that's what saves you you're not going to heaven because you're a member 
of Central Baptist Church. Now, it'd be, that'd help you. <laughs> and, I, and I hope that, that every member of Central Baptist Church, I hope that you are saved. But being a member of Central Baptist Church didn't save you, and it will not save you. Is have you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? So there's a great lesson, therefore, concerning salvation in this passage of Scripture. But there's also a great lesson concerning the Scriptures in this passage of Scripture. And a tremendous blessing in this particular passage of Scripture. You see, there's a problem here. There's a problem that comes to our mind. Jesus said in, in chapter 6 here, in verse uh, 70 and 71, he said, have, have I not chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? Now, why, why in the world would Jesus choose a devil to be an apostle? That's interesting, isn't it? What's all of this about? Well, in John chapter 13, and in verse 18, Jesus speaking of his disciples, he said, I speak not of you, of you all. I know whom I've chosen, but that the scripture might be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now, I tell you before it come, before it come that when it has come, uh, come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Jesus explains in this passage in John 13, why he chose Judas. He said, I know whom I've chosen. I did it that the scripture might be fulfilled. You see, there was a prophecy concerning the Lord Jesus in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 9, where it says, Yea, mine own familiar friend, in whom I've trusted, and with whom I did eat bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. It was a prophecy of the betrayal of the Messiah, that the Messiah who would come, the Christ that would come, would be betrayed by a familiar friend. Jesus said the reason that Judas was chosen was that this scripture might be fulfilled. You see, the Bible is an amazing, wonderful book. Only God knows the future. Only God can prophesy. The devil doesn't know the future. Gene Dixon didn't. She's dead now, but she didn't know the future. Uh, you don't know the future. I don't know the future. Only God knows the future. The only part of the future that we know is what God has revealed to us in this Bible. That's all. Only God knows the future. One of the great authenticating factors of the Bible is fulfilled prophecy. I've studied the Bible long enough now to know that it is absolutely, totally impossible that this, could, this book, the Bible, could have been written other than divine inspiration. And I am assured of that because of fulfilled prophecy. Jesus said, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be betrayed as a fulfillment of Scripture. And then he said, it's very important when this happens that you might believe that I am he. Now, who's the, who's the he's talking about? He's talking about the Messiah, the promised Messiah. He said that you might believe that I am he, I am the Messiah. When you see all of these scriptures being fulfilled in me, then you're going to know that I am the Messiah. I'm told that there are over 333 prophecies that are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ 
in the New Testament, in his, in his uh, birth and life here, uh, and, uh, and, and, and in the future, there are over 333 prophecies that converge in the Lord Jesus Christ, fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we're told in the Old Testament the very place where he'd be born. We're told the manner of his life. We're told the manner of his death. We're told what his enemies would do. All of this, all of this was minutely prophesied. And my friend, the possibility, the probability that all of these prophecies were fulfilled by chance is astronomically impossible. It is literally impossible to believe that all of these scriptures could be so minutely fulfilled and Jesus not be the Messiah. Thank God for the Bible. Judas was chosen that it would be fulfillment of scripture. Nothing got out of hand. Everything's exactly as the Bible has prophesied. There's a third lesson I want you to learn. Not only a lesson about salvation, the danger of being an unsaved church member, and not only a wonderful comforting lesson as well as a warning lesson about the fulfillment of Scripture, but there's also a lesson I want us to learn about service in the story here of Judas. Now notice in verse six, uh, 67 and 68, Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will you also go away? And this is John chapter 6, verse 67. Then Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou, and only thou, has the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered them, Have I not chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? Now Jesus turned to Simon Peter. He, he said to, Sim, uh, to Peter, as uh, some of the people are leaving, he said, uh, Simon, are you, are you also going to leave me? Other people are leaving. Simon says, I'm not going to leave you, Lord. Where else would I go? I mean, there's no other place, Lord. No other place to go. I'm committed to you for life. Now, I want you to, I want you to learn a lesson here about service. Judas failed. He betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. But the other 11 continued to serve Jesus Christ. They didn't quit. They continued to serve. Some of you, some of you may stop serving the Lord and some of you may never begin serving the Lord because of some old Judas. Listen, there have always been Judases in the churches. There will always be. There will always be unsaved church members as, as much as we preach the gospel plainly and clearly, there's still going to be people who haven't ears to hear, will not hear. They will not understand. They will not, will not be saved. And, and even may, may uh, join the church, may even be baptized, all of that, go through all of that, and yet never be saved. You're always going to have that. There's always those Judases in the church. My friend, anybody that would let a Judas, let a, some bad egg that's in the church, let them keep from serving the Lord, let them quit going to church, or let them look at some 
uh, hypocrite and hide behind them as an excuse to keep concerned with the Lord. That's not wise. It's not wise to do that. Somebody said that if you can hide behind a hypocrite, that means you're smaller than they are. Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where else is there? You alone have the words of life. Wonderful lesson about service. There's also in this chapter a lesson about the social gospel, which is no gospel at all. You see, in this same chapter, Jesus just fed the 5,000, and Judas was there when, Jesus, when he fed the 5,000. And I have little doubt in my mind that, Judas, uh, that Jesus fed Judas when he fed those others, and Judas ate of that bread. I want you to notice here in this chapter, after Jesus fed the 5,000, in verse 26, and Jesus answered them, said, Verily, verily, I send to you, you seek me, not because you saw the miracles, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. That's the only reason you're following me, is because you ate some of the bread. Then he said in verse 27, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, for the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath the Father seal. Now, what, what Jesus is saying is don't spend all your time just trying to get some bread in your stomach, some food in your stomach. There's something else more important. You work for, you labor for that meat, that food that endures, that, you know, to, to endure you physically, but what's, what's more important than that is that, that food that endures you unto everlasting life. And then over, look, look also here in verse 47. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I send you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. And he goes on, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. And then further down, he that eateth this bread shall live forever. Now, what is all this scripture about, about the bread? What is this all about? Well, Christ is making here a contrast. Jesus has fed them with physical bread. They have, he has fed the 5,000. Material bread. But Jesus said here, you need something more than this bread. You need eternal life. Judas ate that bread, that material bread, and he's in hell right now. So what is the point? The point is that we, we have those a day who would try to divert the church from their main task and their main job. And you know what the main task of the Central Baptist Church is? It's to preach the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are those a day that want to turn the church into a vast social agency. You know, for a long time they were... They were a really big thing about the social gospel. Now it's the thing that churches are getting into is social justice. Well, social justice is not going to save you any more than the social gospel. That's not what that's not what the church is all about. I I, I had a newspaper reporter uh, one time ask me about this very thing. He, he said, I want to ask you why the churches are not more interested in the social gospel. And I told him, I said, I want to tell you something, my friend. There is no such thing as the social gospel. There's only one gospel. 
And that's the saving gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. And that's the only gospel. There is no other. That's a misnomer to talk about a social gospel. I, I realize that we, you know, we ought, to, we ought to care about people that have physical needs. And, uh, you know, there have been, we've spent many, many dollars uh, to help people to buy food, to feed people. We've done that. I, I believe that we ought to care about uh, people in Haiti and the earthquakes and the hurricanes that, that have just totally devastated practically the entire population there. I, I think it's good to get food to them. But if we don't get the gospel to them, all we're doing is populating hell. They're going to live longer, procreate more and more. People are going to die and go to hell without the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think, uh, I think they say now that there's around 7.5 billion people on the face of the earth. And suppose that you, you uh, come into $7.5 billion. A dollar for every human being on the face of the earth. And I know you can't do it anymore with inflation the way it is, but you know, used to, you could buy, you could buy uh, a hamburger at McDonald's for less than a dollar. In fact, I can remember when you get a hamburger and a small french fry and a drink for 25 cents. That may be telling you something about how old I am. But uh, I, this McDonald's right down here, I remember when they opened up. And you, can, uh, you could go up there, couldn't go inside then, you went up to a window. It just went to the window, got your meal, and, and I'd order that little hamburger they have and a small order of fries and a cherry Coke for 25 cents. Um, but suppose, you know, you could go down to McDonald's, you could buy a hamburger, uh, seven and a half billion hamburgers. Am I saying that right? Seven and a half billion uh, hamburgers for a dollar, and you were to give them to all the people who were. Five hours later, they're going to be hungry again. So what? So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm for helping people that have needs. I'm for all that. But let's face it, that's not going to help them for eternity. Give them food, that's all fine, but you better give them the gospel while you're doing it. Now what Jesus is saying here is don't spend all your time just trying to get some bread in people's stomach. There's something more important. You're to, you're to work for, you're to labor for that meat which endures into everlasting life. Judas ate of that bread, now he's dead because he never fed on the bread of life. He never knew the Lord Jesus Christ. We have people today who just tell us to change environment and you'll change the man. Well, that's wrong, my friend. It's the man that ruins the environment. You think about, you think the environment, the environmentalist has the answer? You know where, you know where man got into trouble? You know where, where, where this all, all this mess all began? It began there in the Garden of Eden. You couldn't ask for a more perfect environment. Man needs more than soup and soap. He needs salvation. 
He needs Jesus Christ. He needs to be born again. And this lesson of Judas here in this sixth chapter tells us the failure of the social gospel of not getting people saved and born again. What a warning it is to us that, that man needs something more than that which perishes. And that, that is a lesson that, that we all ought to heed. There's also a lesson here concerning sin. I don't, I don't know what caused Judas to betray the Lord Jesus. I don't, I don't know why he turned out the way he did. But he did it. And then he said later on, I have betrayed innocent blood. You see, sin deceived him. And then later on, the Bible teaches that he hanged himself. So not only did sin deceive him, sin destroyed him. Then later on, he died and went to his own place. He went to hell. Jesus said it would have been better for him if he'd never been born. So sin deceived him, sin destroyed him, and sin damned him. There's a lesson here about sin today. I want every young person here to listen very carefully. Sin will take you further than you want to go. And sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And sin will cost you more than you want to pay. And what happened to Judas? The Bible says, in, in Matthew 27, that he hanged himself. You know, sin's not a pretty thing. I, I don't even have the vocabulary to paint the picture here of what sin really is. Sin is a hor horrible thing. You know, the devil likes to glamorize it. He wants to you know, he wants to make you think that, boy, you know, there's a lot of joy, a lot of happiness, a lot of good times in sin. And, and it is true that there is pleasure in sin for a season, some kinds of sin, but it doesn't last. It doesn't last. You see that Marlboro man, the guy that advertised for that cigarette, the Marlboro man, you looked at him like he was a macho man, and uh, I read that guy died in his early 40s. Cancer of the lungs. I don't know if that's true or not. I heard that. But um, the devil tries to paint a pretty picture of stuff like that. You know, here, uh, drink, drink this brand of beer and, and you'll have a great personality and, and you'll grow hair and you know, and, and all kind of stuff, and get rid of wrinkles and everything, and you'll get the prettiest woman in town if you'll drink this kind of beer. They don't, see, they, they show you that. They don't point you to what that beer does to you. They don't point you to the gutter with that drunken bum lying there in his own vomit. Sin, the devil paints a pretty picture of sin. But you see, it doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't end there. It doesn't end. With, with Judas, you see, it didn't end there. If, if that's all that, you know, but Jesus said of Judas, 
it had been good for that man that he'd never been born. You see, if Judas could just commit suicide and be all over, that'd be something. But Jesus said it had been good for him if he had never been born. Judas died and he went to hell. What a solemn warning of the power of sin. You know, the, the question that I have for you this morning is this. Have you been born again? Have you really been saved? Do you know? Can you remember the experience? So you don't get saved accidentally. You get saved on purpose. And there had to be a time when you came to the place you realized that you were a sinner, that you were lost. And you need to be saved. And then you accepted Christ. You called upon the Lord. Asked him to save you. Now, you may not remember the day. You may not remember the timing. But you better remember the experience. If not you got a problem. Remember the experience. I remember. I remember the Sunday morning. When I got saved. I. I had been under conviction. I didn't know. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know that I was under conviction because I was already a church member. I was a member of the East Side Baptist Church in Haines City. I'd gone forward there. And they baptized me, dumped me under the water, and put my name on the church roll. And, and so that's, you know, I, I thought I was okay. They didn't tell me any, They didn't tell me anything about how to be saved. They didn't deal with me. They didn't show me in the Bible. All they did was ask me what my name was and what my address was. And, and, um, and so I was a church member, a member in good standing. But I remember things that took began to take place in my life and uh, meeting Janice, and she was a Christian and uh, a bona fide Christian. And um, and her her life, things that she would not participate in, and the and the only, the thing the only places she would go with me was to church, and those things began to bother me, and I began to wonder what's the difference here. I'm a church member. What's the difference? And other other things, you know, I hear you'd hear messages, and there'd be things take place, and. And I and, and and I, you know, looking back on it, I realized I was under conviction, but I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what was going on. And on that Sunday morning, the message that morning had nothing to do with me. He was the preacher was preaching on drunkenness, and I never drank. I never, I never touched a whiskey bottle or a beer can in my mouth. I'd never drank, but. But I, I came there under conviction, not knowing what it was, but I was under deep conviction. And so when the invitation was given, I didn't, I, you know, I wasn't thinking, you know, I'm going to go forward today and get saved. I, I wasn't thinking all that. But, but when the invitation started, I found myself walking down the aisle. And I came down to the front, the preacher standing there in the front. And I, I took his hand. And he shook my hand and 
sat me down and someone came forward. I think it might have been Billy Green came forward and dealt with me there, showed me from the Bible how to be saved. And I accepted Christ. That's a real experience. I would not have remembered the day except that Janice wrote it down in the Bible, in a Bible for me. But I remember the experience. I'll never forget it. It's just as real as if it happened yesterday. And I can remember the, the way home. On the way home, I can remember how different I felt. And I'm not trying to give you the idea that you're going to feel something. But I did. I felt a peace. I felt, I felt a great burden had been lifted off of me. And I remember that experience. And I would caution you that if you cannot remember that experience, there's a real possibility you might not be saved. But what about it this morning? What about it? Can we learn from the life of Judas and what Judas did? Can we learn from that something that can help us to not only to be saved, but also in our serving the Lord? Would you stand, please, with your heads bowed? man who kissed the door to heaven and died and went to hell. I wonder how close, how close some of you may, may be this morning. It's not enough to just acknowledge that the Lord, you know about the Lord and you come to church and things like that. It's, have you been born again? Are you saved? That's what's important. That's really the most important issue that you'll ever face. Are you saved? Can you remember the experience? Heavenly Father, asking you now to bless the invitation time. May each of us do what we ought to do today. If there are those that are lost, may they come and be saved. If they're Christians that need to rededicate their life, may they come. Whatever the need is, I pray that you help us, Lord, to respond to you and have those needs met today. For I pray in Jesus' name, amen. As we sing a verse of invitation song, we invite you to come this morning. If God's spoken in your heart, would you come? Mm -hmm.